Hello everyone, welcome to The Bitchin' Review, a music review show brought to you by The Bitchin' Brew Podcast. This is episode number three, I'm Danny Randon, your host, he's Brad Thorne, my cohort, my, <laughs> I hadn't planned anything smart to say around this, he's Brad Thorne, he co-hosts with me, hi Brad. Hello, no wait, howdy. I was going to say how I had it in my head. I was going to say howdy. Did you prepare hi. that all this time? Yeah, and then yeah. I said hello anyway. Oh. I was supposed to say howdy. We can do this over if you want. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> well, like I said, this is episode number three of uh, the Bitchin' Review, and uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the notable uh, music releases from uh, the month of March. Um, mm. As as we as we do this, we don't really do like album releases uh, in advance. We kind of you know like to give ourselves time to check out all the albums, and you know we were we were talking about this before we started recording. Um, oh, we should probably say about the albums we're going to be reviewing, shouldn't yeah. we? Because yeah. <laughs> uh, um, we're going to be reviewing the albums uh, from Weezer. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we're also going to be reviewing the albums from Brutus, uh, While She Sleeps, Foles, Venom Prison, Angel Dust, American Football, and Holding Absence. Now, um, we were saying before we started recording, it's not necessarily been a disappointing start to the year. No. But it does feel like it's been a little bit slow. Definitely, and when yeah. we think about the albums that we've covered so far, uh, realistically, are you know a huge amount of them going to be in my consideration for albums of the year possibly not at this point i mean you know obviously i really love the puppy album uh and um i've absolutely raved about that health album mm-hmm. uh, when that came out in february um but yeah it's my- there is a album that we're going to talk about in a minute okay that is uh in with a Good chance of being my album of the year. Weezer, is it? (laughs) (laughs) No. You bastard. (laughs) But you know, March by comparison to the to you know the the January and February has been fucking mental, honestly. It's been mad. There there are as many albums that we couldn't make room for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I I know we've both been really loving the the Japanese house album. Yeah. Um, and we're probably going to do some form of like catch up episode at some point. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Um, and I've been really loving the album from Jenny Lewis. Um, there's that Pew 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 album which came out on Big Scary Monsters, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the new Ladder Spew album, people have been going mad about. I haven't necessarily gone in on a huge amount yet. No, um, neither. And, um, you know, everyone's been raving about that, so maybe we should uh, play a little bit of catch-up on that. We had a new release from Lotus Eater, which was too long to be an EP and too short <laughs> to be an al- Like, it was a mini-album. Yeah, You yeah. don't see a lot of those these days, but that was that was pretty cool. Mm. And um, and we had a new EP from The Excerpts as well, um, which Always was... nice. Yes, it, it was a lovely time. <laughs> it was almost as lovely as the time we would have had had they not cancelled their gig the other day. But of course, get well soon, Murray, um, as, as if he's listening. But, you know, <laughs> we were going to go and see them. There, there aren't really any sort of uh, gig reviews. We, we did go and see Holding Absence, but we're going to hold the chat on their live show until we actually chat about the album mm-hmm. at, yeah. right, right at the end of the show. I know we usually start this on live reviews, but... Life's been well. How's life been for you, Brad? Really, really busy. Yeah, yeah. The day job's been keeping me busy for sure. For yeah. sure. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I've actually just quit my day job. I've got a new <laughs> day job. We won't go into it too much today, but you know, it's obviously been going to lots of job interviews and like doing a lot of. I I like when I go to these job interviews. I try and get myself like really psyched up in the car on the way over. So I like you know end up making a lot of like playlists where I can just sort of. 
I remember I went to a job interview the other day and I, I just stuck on Master Volume by the Dirty Nil <laughs> and sung along the whole way and then realised I've been shouting along to this CD and my voice is already like fucked <laughs> for this job interview. That was possibly not a good idea. Um, but yeah, you know, just psych up playlists really. Mm. I, I, it's, it's weird, I often like stick on, and you're going to laugh at this, um, it's whenever I go running or whenever I try and get myself psyched up, I listen to like wrestlers entrance music. I've probably mentioned this before, <laughs> but yeah, I do I do a lot of that. And it, it, has, it, it was, uh, or it is anyway, WrestleMania month. Mm. Um, and that was a very exciting time for, for fans of... Fans of the Graps, fans of uh, oily, sweaty men suplexing each other <laughs> onto each other's heads. Um, you No, did you watch any of it? No, no. Can you watch it in the UK? Is it you on can, TV? You can watch it in the UK. So um, I, I'm, I have a subscription to the network, so I get all the pay-per-views. <laughs> yeah, I know. Shut, <laughs> shut up. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, was, it was on really, really late. And it's the longest ever WrestleMania at seven and a half hours long. Jesus Christ. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of wrestling. Yeah. Bearing in mind that WrestleMania is not even the only thing that happens over WrestleMania weekend. So by the end of like WrestleMania week, I was totally like, I was grapped out for sure. <laughs> um, seven uh, hours is longer than the entire Series 8 of Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, you you so you must be stoked at the moment. Yeah. Game of Thrones being back. I love back. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Have you have you watched the new episode? I've watched it twice. Oh, did you Just stay cannot, up? Yeah. Did you stay no, up for I the couldn't. American screen? I no. But, um, I watched it when it came out, and then again after. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I'm I I've watched the first two series of Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. So you're really behind. I'm so I I watched the first two series of Game of Thrones about four years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, so really I'm not an active I'm not an active watcher of Game of Thrones. Um, so you know, I just I don't know. I just I've, I feel like I should really go back to it sometimes because I've been getting a lot of FOMO as a result of yeah, like you know, I, like, shit tons has been spoiled for me at this point. <laughs> uh, probably I don't remember a lot of it to be honest. Um, but yeah, someone spoiled the Red Wedding for me, and I think that's when I kind of stopped watching yeah, it. Yeah, that's like the worst thing you could spoil. I yeah, think. yeah, exactly. I think I just watched Breaking Bad instead at that <laughs> point, and Dexter. Um, I've just been watching Brooklyn Nine Nine as well. I've been binging that. Um, we were talking in the office today uh, in the uh, the office of my day job, and um, we were saying about you know sometimes how it is like a, a sort of a Brooklyn Nine Nine uh, like which which uh, person in the office would be which Brooklyn Nine Nine character, and instantly people said I'd be Joe Peralta. So, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I thought I'd be like a little bit of a lovable loser, like Boyle. But no, everyone was like, no, no, if there's anyone in this office that's Peralta, it's you. We should probably talk about some music, shouldn't we? Uh, yes. I mean... Or the new Weezer album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, zing. <laughs> um, but, you know, I feel like we should have a little bit of a disclaimer. We we kind of started this with the, um, uh, with the prospect that we would be very positive. You mm-hmm. know, we'd be a positive music podcast and chat about what we love and not really give a whole lot of time to albums that really aren't worth the chat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with that in mind, <laughs> it's time to talk about um, 
well, it's time to talk about Weezer for the second time on the Bitchin' Review. I know we're only on episode three, technically episode number four, mm-hmm. uh, but this is the second album that we've had from Weezer this year, the Black Album, or self-titled, um, the latest in their series of self-titled albums, yeah. which sort of stand out amongst... Uh, Weezer have given us some of the greatest alternative rock albums definitely of yeah. all time you yeah. know they they are arguably the best power pop band of all time to kind yeah. of put a label on it um you know most notably their you know self-titled albums have kind of stood out amongst their catalog i know a lot of people love pinkerton as well i'm mm-hmm. personally more of a blue album guy how, how do you I do absolutely love Pinkerton. I mean, they're very different albums. I, very different I love moods, Pinkerton. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I love Pinkerton, but I'm yeah, Blue Album. I think that is the one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and kind of a more recent history of Weezer. Obviously, over the last three years, we've had the White Album, um, which was for me their best record in fifteen plus oh, years. Good, yeah. I thought it was fucking wonderful. Yeah. Um, and then the year after that, we had Pacific Daydream, mm-hmm. and I've I've not gone back to it. I've not gone back to it in the two, near two years that it's been out. But it, it, I remember it leaned very heavily on its singles. Like Mexican Fender was really really good, and then yeah. that was about it. I remember it being pretty bum, to be honest. Yeah, I. I don't mind it actually. Okay. It's I mean it's very very far from their best, but um, it has its moments. It has its moments. Well, and then we had the um, we had the Teal album, <laughs> and uh, you know what I, I I remember we had a bit of an a bit of a lovers tiff over it, <laughs> and I, I remember you thinking it was very cynical and just very um, very almost contrived if I'm right in saying. Yeah, and and just a bit kind of nothingy. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I didn't have much time for it. No, I admittedly have not gone back to it very much. No. But I think at the time I was just like, yes, this just, it gave me a good time. Yeah. You know, ain't nothing wrong with a good time from time <laughs> to time. Um, which brings us very nicely on to the Black Album. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I wanted to actually start this. We don't really like refer to uh, press quotes very often, but mm-hmm. um, there was um, a, a sort of a myriad of reviews for this album, as yeah. we'll find out in a minute. Um, and this one kind of stood out to me. It's from Corey Van Den Hoogenband, right. uh, a writer for Exclaim, which is a publication I'm not familiar with no. uh, overly. But um, you know, I, I obviously know who they are, just not a regular uh, regular reader of theirs. Um, and he said that Weezer's latest is an. an, an uh, 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 <laughs> shall we try that again? Um, Weezer's latest is an utterly skippable collection that would be entirely unremarkable if not for the fact it was released by Weezer. I read this quote as well, actually, Yeah, you say it, yeah. And, you know, I agree with him. It is remarkable. The only issue is, it is remarkably bad. <laughs> Brad, I mean, where do we start on how unfathomably shit the Black Album is? I... I don't know. Um, I think, as you were saying, how they've given us, you know, undoubtedly some of the best kind of pop rock. You said power pop, right? Like Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes it all the more sad to have to be having this conversation twice in the space of, you know, in such a short space in of time. In two months, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, it... 
it's just a bit sort of tiring seeing Weezer being a little bit of a joke and having a joke and seeing Rivers be the kind of weird meme lord that he's become. Yeah, yeah. To the point where it's seeping into his music. I think, you know, it's... I, I, I put this album first because, like I said, I wanted to be positive and I feel like this is just kind of a ripping a plaster off because <laughs> I did say we would cover it and it has been a sort of a big music release, although, uh, unsurprisingly, people haven't really talked about it very much since uh, since the, the album actually came out. No. It was the initial, oh my God, this really does suck <laughs> and then very little after that. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean... Go, going individually into the tracks, it opens on Can't Knock the Hustle, yeah. which was a, a single that was released and we were kind of prepped for it long in advance. Um, when, I, when I kind of... I, I hadn't really listened to it very much because I just remember it being not very good. Exactly. Yeah. And being totally forgettable when I heard the single. So when I started the album on Can't Knock the Hustle, all I could think of was it sounded like... Yeah, you you know the film Trolls that came out a couple of years ago. Yes, I the, haven't like, seen it. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it. It's a kids' film, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, it came out and it had that uh, Justin Timberlake single. Yeah. Uh, Can't yeah. stop the feeling was like the official track of it. Yeah. Um, Can't not the hustle is what I'd imagine the soundtrack to Trolls Two would be, <laughs> but like you know. Trolls, Trolls After Dark, perhaps. Yeah. Um, although that that's probably not the best. I, I I can't take credit for this myself. I was listening to this album. I was like, you know, subjecting myself to the absolute atrocity that this album is <laughs> while I was cleaning the kitchen the other day, and I had this album on, and uh, my girlfriend said. Uh, was listening to Can't Knock the Hustle on that Hasta Luego, <laughs> Hasta Luego. Um, and she said, <laughs> and and I had to write this down because I was like, oh, I fucking got to say this. She's like, oh, you better not take credit for it. And I'm like, no, you can come on the show next time and do like your five word reviews of albums that I that I <laughs> that I you know force you to listen to while I'm reviewing them. And she said, it sounds like a key stage three Spanish listening exam. <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, I couldn't quite get over that. Um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it really does. And it, that's just the start of just an album which does absolutely nothing for me. We we heard about the Black Album. There there was a lot of talk around the Black Album going as far back as you know, like even before the White Album was released. Mm. And I couldn't find any quotes to kind of back this up um, in the sort of limited time that I had to read around this record. But I remember there being a lot of talk about it being a much darker record than we come to expect of Weezer yeah. uh, in the last few years. And you know, I I, I do remember uh, Rivers saying at one point that he kind of had the idea of like Beach Boys Gone Bad, and mm-hmm. it was the first time that he heard this this is the first time that he's sworn on a record and he does yeah. swear sort of several times on the record but if that's his idea of a of a dark record i mean rivers cuomo swearing <laughs> like oh oh uh, boobies you know it, it sounds kind of it, it's it feels very juvenile whenever he's swearing it's kind of like oh you're swearing because you're you're 12 years old and your parents aren't listening and you're kind of <laughs> swearing around your mates like yeah. you can call someone, you know, you can call someone a shithead or something, <laughs> and not get in trouble for it. It it feels very juvenile. I wonder with this album. Um, I very recently learned about the whole the very sort of bad reaction that Rivers had when Pinkerton came out, which is quite a heart on sleeve, right? Yeah, kind of record. 
and some of the criticism that attracted kind of made him spiral mm. out and ever since I think he's been very reluctant to kind of bear himself yeah. on, on tracks you know mm. um, this album does have a, a kind of a, a biting I mean if you listen to Can't Knock the Hustle he's having a go at like internet people right like yeah. bloggers and stuff but he's also singing Hasta Luego just for the for the fuck of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like he's any kind of intention that to make this a kind of a sleazier, darker record is is really muddied yeah. by all the ridiculous shit that that is thrown at the wall. I they're, they're, you know what credit where credit credit's due for Rivers for just you know doing what he wants. Yeah, because uh, that that's the thing. Like. I feel like this is a total Rivers Cuomo album. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine the rest of Weezer actually sat down and wrote this with him. I'd imagine they got into the studio and Rivers went, yeah, they're going to do this. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I don't know how much involvement they had in writing it, but I know that Rivers is obviously the primary songwriter for Weezer, mm-hmm. and I imagine that a lot of the decisions made on this record sonically, and I suppose all over the record really, mm. are, are sort of decisions made by Rivers. But why why does this have to be a Weezer album? Why can't this be like a Rivers Cuomo like yeah. If you're trying to do the whole mumble rap thing on California <laughs> Snow at the end of it... Or like you know, there's that song called "Living in LA." Uh, it sounds like you remember th- uh, what's the name of that band that had like a Jonas brother in, and they did like "Cake by the Ocean" or whatever. Yeah, were they yeah, called? Um, da- they were they were just called Dance or something, something weren't they? Like that, or like, yeah, yeah. But it had the it had the A missing, I think. So it was like D N C E. They didn't even <laughs> replace it with a V. The fuckers. <laughs> um, they weren't edgy enough to do that. <laughs> yeah, and then there's like tracks like the Prince who wanted everything. I think by far the worst. Really, song that's on your least favourite yeah. song on the album. On living in LA, I, I was going to say that it's probably the best song on the album. See, I think, and you, funny what you were saying about Rivers, just kind of like um, you know being subjected to a lot of criticism over the years, going as far back as Pinkerton. Uh, that my favourite song on the album is actually "I'm Just Being Honest." Oh, okay. I've, yeah. I feel like that's possibly the most, uh, you know, it's it's probably the most Weezer that we've, Weezer as we kind of know and love them. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of exhibits that quirky sense of humour that Rivers does have. And if anything, it's kind of the only time he swears that whole line about, yeah, your band sounds like shit, but I'm just being honest. Yeah. Um, I I feel like that's the only time that the the whole swearing thing doesn't seem really juvenile. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean that that Prince who wanted everything mm-hmm. that is a piss poor tribute to Prince. Yeah. I'm sorry, but if Prince actually heard that from the hereafter, he would rise up from his grave and strike and, Rivers down. Well, yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, like dick slap him or something. <laughs> And that would be like, like we would never believe it because Rivers would tweet about it. <laughs> like, just got dick slapped by the ghost of Prince <laughs> for that rubbish song that I did about him. Um, my, the worst thing, the, the absolute worst thing about this album uh, is the track that follows, which is Byzantine, um, which sounds like, like it's a calypso beat on a like a my first keyboard kids <laughs> toy. Yeah. And I think actually that is the worst song. Actually, yeah, it's even worse when you consider who the song was written with. Yeah, 
And and that song, there is a writing credit given to Laura Jane Grace, one of our greatest, one of the greatest songwriters of our time. And I, when I heard the the idea of like Laura Jane Grace and 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 Rivers writing a song together, I thought great because Laura's done some great songwriting. She did a, a really great song for like a Joan Jett album a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, you know, Laura's such a fantastic songwriter, a fucking brilliant songwriter. Yeah. What As is, is Rivers, what, you know? When yeah. He, oh God. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm. I just want to say I'm taking absolutely no pleasure in slating this album. Yeah. No. No. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a real shit start to the. Yeah. I think. Um. To. To be slightly. Slightly positive. I think. Living in LA, maybe. Um. As you said, I'm just being honest and. I think High as a Kite as well, to a certain extent. Mm. They're showing that Rivers hasn't lost his knack for for writing hooks and actually no. being able to write these songs that, whether you like it or not, even Zombie Bastards and Can't Knock the Hustle, they do embed themselves in your brain. And yeah, I found, myself, I found myself um, like humming along sometimes to some of these... Some of these yeah. songs, but unfortunately, I found myself going do 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 do, and then wanting to like punch myself in the kidneys <laughs> repeatedly as a result. Like you deserve this. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, that's the thing. I'm not taking any pleasure. I, like, I feel like like I'm sounding like I'm actually like taking pleasure in absolutely fucking mullering this album, mm. but I'm really not. Like Weezer are a band which I, I love dearly, and I'm just wondering how many more times do we have to go through this shit? Because this isn't the first time. No. This has happened, you know, with with Hurley and, and Ratitude and, to an extent, Pacific Daydream. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's not the I first time. I think for as long as we've been music fans, Weezer have always been this crazily inconsistent yeah. band, right? Like, one extreme to the other. Mm. Just makes you wonder what. What on earth are they going to do next? I mean, you may think the Teal album is the first one, but this is the first of the self-titled albums, which really just... That's another thing we haven't mentioned, is that up until now, the self-titled albums have kind of been in a... Yeah. I say a league of their own, but they've been the ones that, with the possible exception of the red one... No, I like the red one too. Yeah, I think it has... Really good moments. Yeah. Oh, it's I maybe mean, not as strong. No, blue and green and white. Mm-hmm. I would say I actually maybe even like white and green are on a path. Blue is obviously the best mm-hmm. Weezer album for me, full stop. Then obviously like Pinkerton outside of the, the self-titled series. Yeah. And then white and green and then and then red. But, you know, red is obviously much better than this. And I would mm. say better oh, than yeah. the Teal album as well at Absolutely, this point. Absolutely, yeah. But yeah, to um, have this as part of that kind of series of albums is yeah makes it even worse still. I mean, the fact that they have to tease the the premises for their next two albums kind of makes me think like why why like I'd rather just find out about it when you've got a song mm-hmm. because you know they've they've been talking about like how their next album or or the album after that I can't remember the order it's going to be in it's going to be called Van Weezer and it's going to be a guitar album. And I'm like, okay, like that that's cool, but like, you know, tell me when you have some music yeah, yeah. to to show for it. And the next one's gonna be a piano album and I, you know, I can't couldn't give a toss about that. No. Um But yeah, it's just that kind of how how many more times are they gonna do this to are they like why? 
Why rivers? <laughs> they become incredibly prolific as well, right? They're yeah. Releasing albums very, very quickly. So, mm. you know, I, I think the answer to that question is probably a hell of a lot in yeah. the coming years. And and you know what? For all the criticism I've given this, you know, respect to respect to Rivers for always just doing whatever the fuck he wants to do. Yeah, this album doesn't take itself seriously. No. It doesn't really ask ask to be taken seriously, I no. don't think. So. I just yeah. <laughs> oh, I just shrugged yeah, for the benefit. It was very much uh, like so we said we give start giving these albums uh, ratings out of 10. Yeah. Um, or tea bags, because obviously this is brought to you by the Bitch and Brew podcast. Um, so, uh, what, what did you? I, I've given this a two out of ten. I think, you know, there are there are maybe like a couple of redeeming qualities which which kind of drag it away from a one out of ten for mm-hmm. me. And that's I, I'm only being honest. And I like the guitar tone in the chorus of Zombie Bastards. Yeah, I'm gonna go with three. Because I think wow, there's okay. a couple of songs that I could probably take on their own out of mm. context. Okay. But yeah. So um, yeah, hasta luego, Rivers Cuomo. That is um, <laughs> Weezer's The Black Album. Right now that's done. Can we actually talk about the album of the year now, please? <laughs> oh shit! No, sorry, I may have shot my bolt a bit early then. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it is time to talk about um, uh, Brutus, mm-hmm. a, um, a three-piece uh, from Belgium. Um, I suppose you could call them a sort of progressive art rock, hardcore punk, mathy, mathy, shoegazy. Thing, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, this is their second album. It's called Nest, and it came out on Hassle Records. Um, I really loved uh, Brutus's debut album, Burst. Um, mm-hmm. How did how did you feel about it? Yeah, I really really liked it. Yeah, I, I could imagine you did <laughs> yeah. actually. Um, I th- I think it took enough from its its very clear influences in in post hardcore and kind of progressive rock, as we were saying, um, while being sort of something which felt. You know, genuinely like original and and urgent and and unique, mm. which you know in this day and age to actually be like a unique band, a unique new band is is no mean feat, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I, w- I will actually refer to um, uh, to uh, my friend Rob Barber, a brilliant uh, writer for Metal Hammer and various other publications. Mm-hmm. Uh, when this album came out, he tweeted. Um, he said it was a bit hard to do it for fans of, but he said a bit of early Marmosets, a bit of Tool. And some Bjork in the vocals. I think yeah. that's that's fairly accurate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, obviously going back to Burst, their debut album, I've, I came away from it absolutely loving it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it quite made its way into my top ten for that year, but it was like a really good year. Yeah. Uh, 2017. And yeah, I came away from loving it, but I was, I was very certain on, on what they needed to do to improve mm-hmm. the second time round. Um so on Nest, I feel that they have done that, and they have done it phenomenally well. Mm-hmm. I fucking love this album. Yep. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, album of the year so far, right? Is by this the one that you were some, talking about? Oh yeah. And I don't mean to like. Distance. I don't mean to like completely undermine all the other albums that we're going to be talking about today. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, where do we even start with how fucking incredible this album is? I don't actually know where to start. Um, 
Should we start with the song that is the kind of centerpiece? Yeah. Um, so that's um, if I'm right in thinking you're you're referring to War, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, it kind of is the centerpiece of this record. I would say so. Yeah. Um, now. I, I had a, a sort of a comparison in my head of, um, and it was also the first track we heard from yeah, the album. Yeah. Um, I had a comparison in my head, which I'd be very interested to hear what you think. It kind of reminds me of, um, you know, Newborn by Muse, the opening track on Origin of Symmetry. Yeah. Um, and I'm not just saying that because they're a sort of a quote unquote progressive rock three piece, mm-hmm. you know, but it it follows a very similar sort of um, uh, structure. Yeah. You know, because it opens with that very delicate acoustic guitar and quite an anguished uh, vocal from uh, from Stephanie Manets, their, mm-hmm. their drummer and singer. Mm-hmm. Um and then it just goes into just a ferocious hardcore punk tune. Yeah. Um, yeah, that war is... It really is the centrepiece of this record, not just because it kind of comes around the middle of the record, Yeah. but just because it kind of sums up what is so dynamically impressive about Nest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and and that's that's one of the biggest improvements on this record so because i feel like dynamically it is so much vaster because i think that that was probably my biggest problem with burst is it kind of did start to become a little bit too familiar in places yeah and i think burst was actually a a really good name for that album yeah. because it was a burst <laughs> yeah. of you know very frantic and um it felt like it was just a lot of potential, mm. you know, kind of in yeah. one album, but yeah, not as expansive. Yeah, I mean, going going to that album name thing, Nest, obviously, it thematically centres, and I'm kind of paraphrasing from the various materials around this album, it kind mm-hmm. of thematically centres around, uh, like, human connection. Yeah. So whether that's, you know, with, uh, like, between the band, with each other, um, or with their friends, with other bands that they're on the road with, with their families back home in Belgium, <laughs> and and I think after like a fairly relentless touring cycle for Burst, they really sought to like try and piece some of their human connections, which have kind of become a little bit frayed or a little bit sort of disjointed. They kind of really tried to strengthen them back up again, mm-hmm. and and in a way sort of improve themselves through having stronger connections with one another. Yeah. And and I think you can tell on this record that they are tighter as a group. Yeah. On on you know those meandering off kilter moments with some weird time signatures that you know they really have to be able to lock in with one another and communicate really well with each other and they do that. Um, and then those choruses they sound absolutely. I mean we have this conversation a lot of the time. They sound huge for a three piece. Yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of led to an increased sense of, of confidence, especially in um, in Stephanie, who, um, as I was reading, was never really meant to be the singer. It was just sort of a singer by coincidence, mm-hmm. really, or or sort of a singer by necessity, I suppose. Um, but I, I do think she has grown a lot more confident as a singer. I think have we had this? Um, we've had this conversation before. I'm certain, even on mic, maybe that. It tends to be when singers are a kind of just thrust into the role of being a singer. They yeah. seem to really have a unique identity and end mm. up actually really growing into yeah. a real character, which is definitely the case on this album. I think um, 
Stephanie's got this really, really unique quality of being really, really abrasive, but melodic, mm. and actually at times really quite fragile. Yeah, it. I, I definitely see the Bjork comparisons. Yeah, I, I also so, see yeah. comparisons to uh, Becca from Marmosets. Yeah. Um, uh, she has that kind of barked delivery. Sure, yeah. Um, there's a song around the middle of the album called Techno, which I particularly love, uh, where she goes from that, that sort of, that quite, uh, that quite harsh uh, bark of a voice mm-hmm. into something quite soothing and, and ethereal and almost like in a sort of, in a dream pop vein, oh, yeah, I suppose you could yeah. say. Um, the song after that as well, Carrie, I think is a really great example of how diverse vocalist she's become mm-hmm. um, one, one of the things as well and you know I should probably say some say some stuff about the other members as well I love the guitars on this record yeah. uh, Sten the guitarist um, you know has the, that sort of very glacial does lots of tremolo picking mm-hmm. which you know I'm a fucking sucker <laughs> like we were talking obviously a lot about the Merle album from last year mm-hmm. in our album of the year lists um it was in both of our albums of the year list, and it had, you know, guitar wise, it does remind me of that record with those very sort of glacial cinematic sounds. Yeah. And I think Peter, their bassist, is just, he's an absolute thunder bastard of a bassist. <laughs> but, um, you know, he kind of produces these big, sort of thick bass lines, but, mm-hmm. you know, still quite sort of diverse. There's a song called Space where the, the uh, bass kind of takes front and centre and it has almost like a post-punk uh, mm-hmm. twang to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing about this record is, and kind of going back to Stephanie, it's, it's really like unexpectedly bright and euphoric and kind of catchy in places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, really catchy. Yeah. I didn't mean to kind of like go kind of catchy. No, it's <laughs> really fucking catchy. And there were hints of that on Burst. Sure. Um, you know, like when the vocals come in on March and they're just like overwhelmingly powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think they've really nailed what they kind of hinted at on Burst. Sure. Um, one of my favourite songs on the album is Blind, yeah. um, which is really fast and punky, but really melodic, and it has like that sing-along vocal harmony there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not nearly as good. <laughs> I should really try and stop singing on this podcast, shouldn't I? No, never. Um, yeah, I mean, and it goes all the way through to, um, I mean, we haven't even spoken about the final track yet. Yeah. Um, Sugar Dragon. Um, it's just, it comes straight in with, I don't want to say like a mid-paced, shoegazy kind of wave of noise, but, you know, it, it's kind of got more, maybe not a shoegaze, but more of a, like a post-rock feel to yeah, it. Yeah, I've put down that it's, um, it's a soundscape. One thing that last songs on albums can quite often do is, is kind of hint at maybe another direction or mm. another facet of a band's sound that they've hinted at but haven't fully explored and I think um, Sugar Dragon does that yeah. on this and it really showcases their ability to actually just create a big soundscape yeah, yeah. It's, it, it feels like a post-rock song without the kind of the build mm-hmm. Yeah, it just feels like that last I mean it is what nearly eight minutes long mm-hmm. 
but all the way through there's just so much longing and so much anguish and it's almost like they've tracked the whole album live in one sitting and they're using every last scrap of energy they have on this epic mm-hmm. like you say soundscapey conclusion yeah um honestly i i i didn't need any more reason to kind of believe in brutus but nest gives me so much more hope from them to just absolutely crush it yeah definitely i think this came as as much as i like burst this came as quite a big surprise to me to have this be album of the year by such a distance i think yeah it's taken me a bit by surprise not that i that i didn't think they'd deliver something amazing but yeah this is uh you know a, a bit of a masterpiece i think yeah this is absolutely outstanding i've given it nine out of ten yeah but i think that's i'm you know i i don't it, it takes a lot for me to give an album a 10 out of 10 while we are talking about the album of the year so far i don't think it's going to be absolutely on its own there are still a lot of albums that i'm very mm-hmm. excited for for sure uh, absolutely we're going to be talking about it at the end of the year i would be baffled if this doesn't hit my top 20 or my top 10 or even five at this point yeah um or even one <laughs> who knows but yeah i gave this nine out of ten I'm gonna just give it nine as well yeah. yeah just because i've i feel like they can like they've done the the improvements they've made on this on this um on this sophomore record of theirs um are really quite you know sort of staggering mm-hmm. I'm really glad they sort of you know surpassed my expectations and kind of met all those those points of improvement um not that i communicated it to the band person <laughs> like a tethopallic 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 i think we've got the um episode title in the bag tethopallic telepathically communicated these like this is what you've got to do this time no, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I feel like it's only going to get better for Brutus. Oh, yeah. um, you need to listen to this album for sure. Yeah, this is yeah. So that's um, that's Brutus with Nest, and that's out now on Hassle Records. So uh, while she sleeps mm-hmm. um, with their fourth album, um, so what? Cue loads of people doing their best James Hetfield. Um, and uh, yeah, this is the, the fourth album from the uh, Sheffield Metalcore Quintet. Yeah. Um, now, While She Sleeps, um, I love While She Sleeps. Yeah. I really do. I, I hold them very... Uh, hold them very dearly. This, this is the sixth. Their debut album was my number one album of 2012, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like it kind of lit a fire under a scene which was going very cold very quickly. Oh yeah. When we think about the brilliant albums from that time, when you think about There Is a Hell, and you know, uh, Daybreaker from mm-hmm. Architects and well, any Architects album post The Here yeah. and Now. Although I really like The Here and Now. It gets a lot of... Un- it's uh, not as bad as I think a lot of people would have no. to think. But we're not talking about Architects no. <laughs> right now because otherwise I might have to prize you off the ceiling of my car. <laughs> um, but yeah, honestly, I think it is just one of the best modern metalcore records of modern times. Fact. <laughs> Um, and then we have Brainwashed, and I was really late to the party with Brainwashed. I, th- you know, I, th- I, th- I think 
it, it was an album that definitely revealed itself over over several listens. Music grammar. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot darker, a lot heavier. They kind of doubled down on the absolute riff storm that, that, yeah. that you know, This Is The Six was. And it's just absolutely furious. Yeah. Um, then You Are We. I remember you thinking You Are We was absolutely excellent at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but admittedly, I've not gone back to it in well over a year. Yeah. And I'm quite surprised that I haven't. And I think there was a lot of expectation around that album to push While She Sleeps Over the Edge commercially. Yeah. And whether they did that or not, it's kind of up for debate, really. I think that album... Um, not to say it didn't do anything for them, because it was their first album in a while at the time. Yeah. And but it, it came and went, I think, in terms of hype. Yeah, and I was quite sad about that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I, I do remember it being superb. I think one sort of thing, a good thing to mention, is that While She Sleeps are... They have such an amazing ethos as a band, and they're super mm. hardworking and DIY, and yeah. have a really, really great attitude. And it, I've always wanted them to do incredibly well, yeah, because they always deliver live. They always put one hundred and ten percent into the kind of everything they do. Mm. So, um, I've always wanted them to, to yeah. go on to bigger things. I was, I was definitely very interested to see how they would take their next steps. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, with You Are We, there was definitely a heightened sense of melody, especially after how heavy Brainwash was. Yeah. And vocally, there was definitely a shift to more of a 50-50 split between Loz Taylor, their sort of lead vocalist, and, and Matt Welsh, their mm-hmm. guitarist, who does sort of semi-clean vocals, I suppose you could say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's for, obviously, various reasons. The fact that Matt is actually a really good singer, and also yeah. uh, Loz, with his sort of history of vocal problems, having had to have, you know... Throat surgery, uh, throat surgery, or like you know, vocal surgery, vocal surgery yeah. a lot over the years. You know, I'd imagine that has something to do with it as well. But I feel like with you, are we all the pieces were in place for them to become absolutely massive, mm-hmm. for them to be on main stages and stay there, you yeah. know, and and stay there for good. I really thought that was going to be the turning point for them, and it kind of possibly wasn't. No, it wasn't really. So that brings us to so what and. I feel like I should kind of echo your sentiment. I, I have a huge amount of respect for While She Sleeps. They're definitely a band who have been chewed up and spat out by the music industry machine mm-hmm. through no fault of their own, and um, or at least from our perspective. Yeah. And I, I have always liked their DIY ethos, the whole thing around the, the While She Sleeps warehouse mm-hmm. and, and how they've gotten their fans involved on the records. Um, I really think that they are a band that, you know... The other bands should really look to for inspiration. Definitely, yeah. Uh, certainly, in the way they kind of they run their band, and I think it's just all part of the punk spirit. They're they're all skater kids at the end of the day, mm-hmm. um, who also just really love to you know make make the metal. <laughs> uh, um, but okay, so so what? <sighs> so what, Danny? It it doesn't give me the slap in the teeth that I've come to expect from a While She Sleeps album. Sure. I think it is undeniably their most commercial sounding record. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of experimentation with electronics. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, it kind of goes both ways for me. Yeah. Um, I... 
really, really... I mean, I want to like every album that we do. Yeah. So why would I want to hate an album that I've got to listen to, you know? Yeah. But I really, 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 really wanted to love this album because I love actually every the other three albums yeah. a lot. I'm not sure that I do love it. Okay. It's the first one of their albums that has had a fair amount that I just think isn't for me, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I think that's the thing as well. You know, like what I was saying about the electronics... There's a track uh, sort of quite early on, sort of in the first quarter of the record, I suppose, called Inspire, yeah. which has a very sort of modern, clean pop production. And I think that whole thing is actually, it has that sort of vocal manipulation thing is kind of the lead hook. Usually, yeah. usually I can't stand that stuff, but I think it's actually very well integrated with that modern metalcore sound that we're used to. Yeah. And I think that's also as well, like, that's something to argue, like, we, we, we speak, we've started speaking about So What As If It's Like A Pop Record, like Armo by Bring The Horizon mm-hmm. was, which I suppose, you know, there, there have been a lot of parallels drawn between the two. Um, but really, like, it's not as if they've gone full pop. No, that, no. Those big, chunky, fuck-off riffs and Loz's screaming and Sav's absolute incredible drum work. Yeah. He's definitely, I think, you know, one of my favourite uh, drummers in the world at mm-hmm. the moment. Um, just technically so impressive. Um, so, yeah, I think a, a song like Inspire is a really good example of kind of nailing the balance between that those sort of clean modern pop sensibilities. Sure. And, um, you know, big off, fuck off, bastard metalcore. Um, but then on the flip side of that, there's a, there's a track like The Guilty Party, which, for me, the elements don't lock in with each other in the same way at all. And it all just feels a little bit wet to me. And you're looking at me as this if to is... say <laughs> it's your favourite track on the album. Yeah. Oh, right, it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> No, that's cool. I mean, um, this is the first time I think we've maybe sat on such opposite sides right, okay. of the of the proverbial fence. Um, because I think Inspire, I think that kind of, as you were saying, that kind of loops electronic kind of hook mm. that they've put in, while integrated very well into the song and not jarring and not... You know, it's it's used quite sparingly. Mm-hmm. Um, they're definitely staying firmly planted in metalcore, and I think they've made it quite clear that they will always be yeah. a metal band. Yeah, I would like to think that, you know, where they've come from and what they stand for means that, you know, I, I get something different, a different vibe off of While She Sleeps than I do with a band like, you know, Bring Me The Horizon. Sure. Not to yeah. be constantly making comparisons between the two, but they're they're two bands that kind of rose up from that scene at the oh, same yeah, time. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think this album is a cynical move at all. I think it no. comes from a place of genuine creativity. Of this sounds cool. Yeah. Let's try this. It, do- it doesn't feel overly zeitgeisty or whatever. Like no, they're trying to capture the zeitgeist. It's very um, it's very self aware. Yes. It is, yeah. Um, I mean, we've the, the the title track, which for me, you know, for the most part, doesn't really do much for me. But there's no. that um, there's that um, vocal sample, sort of pre 
um, well, in the bridge, I suppose, of, uh, of you know, like a, a, a recording of a woman going, you only wrote this for the money, didn't you? <laughs> and then it just goes into, like, arguably the heaviest moment of mm. the record, like this massive breakdown that kind of reminds me of that track Death Toll that they yeah, did after yeah. This Is The Six. That's a great shout um, yeah. Like, I think they kind of know that they were going to be taking pelters from fans on this one as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I... This this kind of reminds me a lot of the Fever Three Through Three album that we that we covered at the start of the year. Yeah. Not only sort of sonically, but kind of from the expectation. Yeah. Surrounding it. I think it. you're right. Yeah. Uh, this is the first While She Sleeps album where I don't feel compelled to listen to it all the way through. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's very top heavy. Certainly, like the first two thirds of the record, mm-hmm. I I kind of lose interest very quickly after Elephant yeah which is track number 7 or 8 on the album yeah it's an 11 track seven. album and yeah I think Elephant is somewhere around the 7 or 8 mm-hmm. uh, area of the album and um, you know I th- I think from there it gets pretty bland yeah I think um, I mean yeah just to close I did think the um, the Guilty Party I think for me is all the elements coming together in a way that I find quite wow, okay. satisfying, yeah. which is interesting. Um, I think it has got a bit of a chug to yeah. it, which is actually quite reminiscent of, of Brainwashed, which is my favourite album of theirs, mm. hands down. Um, I, I would say, purely because I've spent much more time with it, I, I'm still, I think this is the six. Still mm-hmm. kind of... Uh, sticks with me a little bit more than Brainwash, but I do fucking love Brainwash. So yeah. it's, it's by a very small distance. Yeah. Where do you stand um, on Antisocial, which I think was the first one we heard? It's right? my favourite song on the record. So I spoke about Inspire, obviously, you know, being, I think it's a really good example of the sort of balance that they kind of nail. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I thought it, it, it's its its own worst enemy because it kind of starts the album on such a high. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's a fucking... Uh, I love the kind of almost drum and bassy uh, drum interludes that kind of happen. Yeah. Um, I think maybe, you know, to if I am to critique it, I don't like the whole bridge of Loz trying to get a little maybe too political. Um, I'd say yeah. too political because, like, you know, everyone has right to kind of, you know, like channel their opinions through their sure. art. And if a band wants to be political through their art, then, you know, absolutely go for it. But it do, you know, I'd say that's the only element of the whole album which feels maybe a little bit misguided. They're doing the whole political thing with very broad strokes. Yes, I think. yeah, and, yeah. And um, not to suggest that it's n- insincere because no. I, I, I don't think. You know, not really our place to say. No, no, absolutely. You know, to put words in their mouth like that, but it, it is certainly all things that we've heard mm. before in terms of that kind of political. Yeah, exactly. It's not saying anything profound or no. you know new or uh, misguided was probably the wrong word because I, I wouldn't actually call any of the shifts on this album misguided. No, and I think there's an approach that I, th- I mean, I, again, I, d- I don't know how they wrote the album but it, it seems to be an approach of, of, of things that sound cool yeah um, anti-social I I don't really like I think really? the vocal melodies I've, it's the song I've gone back to the most by right, far okay. and, I, and the not vocal, just because it's at the start of the album <laughs> 
the vocal melodies just don't sit well with me, and right. I, I don't, you know, I should be able to unpack that more, but yeah, it, I just can't really get along right. with that chorus. Um, but the kind of last sort of minute or so of the song, when you get that kind of siren mm. effect, oh yeah, and it and it goes sort of real heavy, is really 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 cool. Yeah. It's kind of like throughout the album there's lots of really, really cool elements and really, really cool sounds that they've just kind of, you know, this sounds cool, let's put this at the end of this song and stuff like that, which yeah. it's a pretty, you know... Yeah, absolutely. Enough. Enough, I, I think if if I am to... So this album for me is a 6 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, like I was saying, they're extremely self-aware and they're still doing things their way. Just some of it is just not for me. Yeah. Um, I think that's the, the, the fairest way I can critique it and I, I'm not giving up on this album just yet I, I still I, I still have every sort of hope that While She Sleeps really fucking hit it big I would like to see him in Brixton Academy by the end of this album cycle yeah and that's, I, as that's, would I yeah. that's somewhere I've wanted to see them for a very very long time and not mm-hmm. just as a support band like on their own merits yeah. Um, you know, it's somewhere they deserve to be. I'd love this to be the album to take them to, to those real great heights. And definitely. and I really think it could be. I think, you know, Antisocial has had daytime play on Radio One and mm-hmm. Annie at like, you know, they, they seem to be going, you know, it's this might be a little bit too kind of like a, an industry perspective, but you know, when they go to Radio One, they're not necessarily going straight to Daniel P. Carter, they're going to Annie Mack. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, which is more of a, a sort of a prime time slot, I suppose, um, and kind of going to a bigger, more diverse audience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that the bits that aren't clicking with me yet on, on So What do click with me someday. Yeah. But just at the moment, I can't help but feel a little bit disappointed. Yep, I'm gonna go. You've given it a six. I was gonna go with seven mm. because I feel like actually, for fans and for people that really loved you, are we? I don't think that they will dislike this. No, at all. I think, and I can see, you know, the band. We haven't spoken that much about the band, but they are fucking incredible musicians. You spoke about the drumming. Yeah, a yeah, bit. absolutely. I mean, absolute riff mongers as well, and that is still <laughs> readily <laughs> apparent throughout this album. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with seven and just say that it's maybe not for me. Well, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. No, I see you. I feel you there. I feel you. So that's so what by while she sleeps. So on to another band who we're going to be talking about two albums from this Mm. year because this is uh, the new album from Foles. Uh, Everything not saved will be lost. Part one. Um, Yeah, like I said, as you would have imagined. First of two albums that we'll be hearing from Falls this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the second album is due out, what, around autumn time? I think believe so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they haven't really put a release date on it yet, I have they? I think so. No. Um, so, Falls, um, not necessarily a band that people might associate us as being fans of, really, but... Uh, you know, I kind of, I came, I, Foles came around at a time when I was really starting to expand my, my palette musically. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a mate back in secondary school who would be a lot more into kind of indie-leaning stuff than me. We had, like, some some bands that we both loved, like mm-hmm. Biffy Clyro and the Optic Monkeys. But, you know, he, he kind of introduced me to a lot more of the indie-leaning stuff, things like Klaxons and, mm. um, you know, it, like, Foles were one of those bands. And, you know, end of secondary school, start of college, I really got into that, that, that whole crop of bands 
that I suppose you could say were very much touted to be the next big things by enemy at the time. There was a lot of shit around that time. But, yeah. you know, you also had Foles and Bombay Bicycle Club and the drums. Um, although I only really like that first drums album. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. two, door, two Door Cinema Club um, as well. I was a really big fan of their first two albums. Okay. Um, and to a lesser extent, bands like the Maccabees yeah. and the Horrors... Yeah, I suppose you could include MGMT within that as well. Yeah, Animal Collective, the vaccines maybe to an extent. Yeah, different, but they were part of the same. Yeah, they maybe came along a couple of years later though, didn't they? Maybe. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) but um, I think it's fair to say that Foles are arguably the best band of that generation. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the only band who could, you know, maybe sort of try and take that mantle would be Bombay Bicycle Club. Mm-hmm. Especially now they're back, yeah. uh, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I absolutely adore Foles, and I have done for for going on ten years now. Mm, as do I. Um, yeah, their debut album Antidotes. When I first heard that, it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. Mm-hmm. You know, schizophrenic, jazz laced art rock, basically. Yeah. Um, and then you had Total Life Forever, which is actually my favourite Foles album. Weirdly enough, a lot of people are quite surprised when I tell them that, but... I think that's quite a commonly held... Really? Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that. It it caught a lot of people off guard, though. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, a lot of the reviews saying it was, you know, them going very mature very quickly. Uh, You know, second time I'm using this phrase, but it was very glacial. Yeah. uh, You know, bringing in elements of of post-rock, even, and, like, post-punk. Um, and an amazing production. Yeah. I mean, the al- the production on that album is just superb. And then you had Holy Fire, which was kind of their go big or go to home record, really. Yeah. And and that's when you started noticing the venues getting a lot bigger. Their breakthrough. Yeah, it was say. definitely their commercial breakthrough, like with My Number and Inhaler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was about to say Mountain at My Gates, but that came on the next album, yeah. didn't it? And, you know, uh, What Went Down, which came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. Centred in on that darker, more sort of rock-oriented yeah, side definitely. of what what they did on on Holy Fire, mm-hmm. um, but I I still felt like it was the smallest leap they took stylistically oh, between yeah. albums. Yeah, um, and that's maybe why it's not held with such reverence. Certainly with me, it seems to be. I think this happens with a lot of bands, and it seems to be the first one where it's like, oh. It's another Foles album. Yeah, it's got exactly. A few good songs on it. A few yeah. very good songs on that album. Yeah, like uh, you know, obviously we're saying about Mountain at My Gates, mm-hmm. the title track. I really love Snake Oil off that off that yeah. album as well. Uh, there's um, a song called Birch Tree, which I think is really yeah, nice. Um, a Knife in the Ocean as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a great album, but it's not really stuck with me in the way the first three have. No, no. So um, yeah, everything not saved will be lost. Part one. Um, Obviously very excited to hear that Foles are bringing out a new album this year, let alone two new albums, um, or a double album, really. Um, So, I would say this feels like the most complete Foles record to date. Even though that we still have to hear the second part, um, I feel like it takes a little bit from everything they've done before. Absolutely. And pieces it all together in a way which feels fresh and exciting and not like they're kind of retreading old ground. Absolutely. And I think it pieces together elements from the other four albums and it does so actually within the same song in a lot of cases, mm. I think. 
which we'll talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, uh, the, the lead single, um, Exits, mm-hmm. um, you know, it has these sort of dark, ominous disco vibes, which really remind me of, like, Miami on Total Life Forever. Yeah. And they kind of go to that, into those sort of funkier... Like, it's probably the funkiest they've ever sounded on a song called... Um, like, one of my favourite songs is Syrups. Yeah. With, yeah. That, with that funky bass line. <laughs> um, there's a song called White Onions... Yeah, um, which really harks back. It's possibly like the the most sort of scatty and frenetic they've sounded in a long time. Since antidotes, I, I would say that song. Sorry, since antidotes. Oh Perhaps, yeah, yeah, I absolutely, think. yeah. yeah. Um, and um, you know, it it goes from that into um, like a song like In Degrees, which is possibly the poppiest they've ever been. I think In Degrees, if if we can talk about it for a second, is. It's my highlight of the album. Right. I also think it's a bit of a career highlight for Foles. Really? I think it's an amazing song. And I think... I remember reading um, in interviews with Foles um, earlier in their career how they would... I'm doing this kind of from memory, so don't quote me on this, but how they would approach the writing process almost as though they were writing an electronic dance song. Which I think they've shown their ability to do... Plenty of times mm. over the years, but I don't think they've ever done demonstrated that kind of approach to to this extent before. Yeah, um, it's definitely probably the poppiest song they've done. Probably helped by the production job that this album's got. Yeah, or is this is the slick. first time they they've self produced this album. Mm-hmm. It's the first time they've done that. Yeah, because um, they, by their own admission, have been always been a very difficult band to work with production wise. Mm-hmm. I can kind of imagine that, actually. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think maybe the MVP on this record, for the first time, I think he's always kind of brought something brilliant to the band, but Edwin Congreve, the sort of programmer, keyboardist, synth player, um, I love the way he's constantly finding these sort of new psychedelic sounds which always kind of catch you off guard. Yeah. There's a track sort of towards the end called Café d'Athens, which almost, you know... Goes goes back to their sort of more minimalist roots, yeah. With these percussive sounds that almost sound like they're coming from like Indonesian like gamelan music. Yeah, I just think it's super interesting what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I also love um, what this album kind of signifies in terms of the growth of Yanis Philippakis uh, as a vocalist. Yeah. When you consider how far he's come since the kind of antidote days. Yeah. I it, mean, I, I really can't wait to see what the second half brings. It's interesting. I um, I listened to a podcast called The Midnight Chats, yeah. which had Yanis as a guest, and he was talking about the decision to release it as two parts mm. and how they had ended up with two groups of songs that seemed to fit. Yeah. quite naturally together, which makes me wonder if the next album is is going to be a similar body of work to this or maybe something more, more yeah. kind of forward-looking. I, I think... Um, well, I, re- I read a... Um, they were on the cover of DIY, mm-hmm. and um, I've got some quotes here from, from Yanis and also from Jimmy Smith, the guitarist. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yanis sort of started by saying that, you know, the, the albums were written as one coin but they've become two separate coins. There are still riffs on album one, but there's a slightly different palette to it. Albums two, album two's got some proper chunky riffs on it. Okay. Um, triple cooked chunky riffs. <laughs> uh, and um, 
then Jimmy added, don't get too disheartened if the first one isn't heavy enough for you. There's a 10 minute song on the next one and there's riffs and loads of guitars. It's going to be great. <laughs> 10 minute song. That's, I think that's probably the longest song that Foles would have ever done at this point. I would think so, yeah. Spanish Sahara was only, what, six minutes long at that yeah. point? I'm surprised they haven't kind of gone into that 10 minute odyssey. Uh, territory yet I'm excited to hear them do oh, it I'm very excited because bearing in mind this is a double album double albums have not always been the greatest they've no. always been a little bit fatty mm-hmm. um, and this is very very lean I uh, think so yeah yeah I've, I've 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 kind of given I've maybe given this a bit of a harsh mark by giving it a 7 out of 10 purely because I want to hear how the second half kind of locks in with it mm-hmm. um, but yeah this is again just uh, this is what five for five for me with false, yeah, and agree, hopefully yeah. soon to be six for six. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go for an eight because okay. I think it may have taken the top spot for me in there, okay, in their discography. I think time will tell, yeah, if it stays there, but yeah, yeah, I, I you know, th- th- I, I like the fact that we're never gonna get the finished article with false. Mm-hmm. But it definitely does sound probably their most reflective. Album. I think they sound very, very comfortable in their own skin now as well, and I think mm. it's quite fitting that they've self-produced this yeah. album because it feels like they know themselves mm. more than they ever have. Yeah, absolutely. Like they, 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 they sound more comfortable, but I hope they don't get complacent. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, don't think, think they, they will. will. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So that's Foles with uh, everything not saved will be lost. Part one. Um, next album. Um, we probably couldn't get much more different. Yeah. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, Venom Prison mm-hmm. um, and their new album Samsara, uh, which came out on Prosthetic Records. Um, Venom Prison, obviously from Wales via Russia, yeah. um, touted as the new faces of death metal, mm-hmm. according to Metal Hammer. Um, and to be honest, I'm all for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, when it comes to death metal, I'm not necessarily an authority. I'm going to echo that for on, myself as well. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not an authority on the classics. Mm-hmm. So, like the quote-unquote leaders of sort of straight-up death metal. Mm-hmm. I obviously I love Slayer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was kind of uh, I heard Rain and Blood at quite an early age, mm-hmm. in sort of like you know, I was <laughs> exposed to it at an early age. <laughs> Um, it's probably why I'm the way I am right now. <laughs> like, surely kids listen to S Club 7. I'm there with, like, Rain and Blood and the Great Southern Tranquil by Pantera. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm much more into kind of the, the more modern sort of hybrid genres which incorporate death metal as part of a bigger picture. Yeah. So, like, m- m- sort of melodic and technical death metal. Mm-hmm. I think the standout band from that scene is, like, Gojira. Sure. Um... You know, through to like the sort of more blackened death metal, so Behemoth, mm-hmm. obviously a huge Behemoth fan, um, and even down to like the the sort of UK death metal bands at the moment that are maybe bringing more sort of doomy, sludgy elements to the fold. Yeah, bands like Conjurer, who mm-hmm. we speak about loads, and I know obvious uh, there's Leached as well, who I'm was pretty into their. It was their very album. promising. They yeah, were, uh... another prosthetic records release. Um, so back to Venom Prison and. Um, their first album, Animus, um, it received a lot of praise for kind of taking deathcore yeah. back to its true meaning. 
mm-hmm. you know, the melding of death metal and hardcore sure. as opposed to the sort of swaggy fuckboy bollocks that <laughs> had kind of stolen the term. Yeah. You know, when you think about Immure and Dr. Acular and all sorts of Empericon <laughs> shite <laughs> in your moss shorts. and I had a Immure pair of moss shorts once. Moss shorts are a essential part of the wardrobe, aren't they? I don't have any anymore. I have a pair of basketball shorts. I think I've probably got some lying around. I, I, I much prefer booty shorts, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> Make my ass look really good. That's really caught me off guard that you said that. <laughs> um, I, I liked Animus. I did. Um, mm. I, I probably wasn't as mad on it as everyone was. Not at no. least at the time. I've gone back to it a lot more recently. Yeah. Um, it became evident from sort of the absolute start of this record that they've upped the metal I think even you know not as we said we're not experts I think doesn't it doesn't take an expert to, not to just downplay what you just said yeah, yeah but yeah. yeah you're right it's immediately evident that they're, they're going much deeper into death metal yeah yeah and um, you know there, there's that there's that guitar squeal that Kerry King kind of guitar squeal at the start of uh, ma- uh, Matrophagy Mm-hmm. I think I'm probably mispronouncing that. We'll do our best. Yeah. <laughs> um, and from beginning to end, from that moment, it is a... It is an onslaught. Yeah. And I fucking love that. <laughs> um, yeah, this this album is... Oh, it completely justifies why I think Venom Prison are one of the UK's most talked about extreme bands. Mm-hmm. Soon to be the world's. They've sort of they started doing America now, mm-hmm. and sort of you know more out into mainland Europe. And I think Samsara is the album that they needed to kind of support that. Yeah. Um. You know, as if Animus wasn't kind of enough. I think it's interesting that they have gone deeper into. I mean, for me, for someone who is very very interested in this scene, but but not necessarily entrenched in it. Yeah. I found Animus much more accessible than did, this. Really? Yeah. Okay. And I and I I was wondering actually, did you have any expectations of where they would go on a second album? Because I don't think I saw them releasing maybe a more challenging. No, I, I don't think I did. Um I I definitely uh, started to get excited when I heard Uterine Industrialization, mm-hmm. which is the first single from it. Yeah. And, you know, just that um just the absolute slap in the teeth that that really was. Probably my favourite song. I've yeah, it's an absolute riff storm. I also really love um, Ashura's Realm, mm. which is possibly the most straightforward they've ever sounded. Yeah. Certainly in the guitars. Yeah, it has yeah, I think so. a sort of a guitar hero feel to it. Yeah. Um, and not in like the... Through the fire and flames, kind of. <laughs> did you ever try through the fire and the flames on expert oh, mode? After if, a few beers, I did. If, yeah. if so, you you haven't guitar here, right? <laughs> um, it, it this album really is like an assault on the senses. Yeah, I think we were talking um, before before we started recording about the there is an album that I, that I'm not sure, you know, that I'm still kind of forming an opinion on because this album is really quite overwhelming and there's a lot going on. And it's very difficult to listen to. Every listen does reveal something else, I think, in yeah. the guitars or in the crazy song structure that 
that they have yeah. this album. You know, it's, it's far from a traditional structure, even for for death metal. I think. Yeah, for sure. There, there's um, what well, I think the best example of that is later on in the album. There's a song called "Implementing the Metaphysics of Morals," mm-hmm. where they just go full. Yeah, like you say, it's a quite a sort of. Um, an unconventional song structure mm-hmm. where it doesn't really go verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. No. Um, but it is just completely... It, it, things go like haywire. Yeah. And it does, you know, it kind of takes that assault on the senses feel to the absolute maximum. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even like the interlude on this record, um, Diva's Enemy, is horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> yes. I was reading an interview with Larissa um, and uh, Larissa Stupar, their vocalist, who we'll get onto in a minute, mm-hmm. um, where they said they wanted to kind of give people a break. I'm like, that's what you call a break? Uh, <laughs> Fuck me, that's like horrible industrial churning. It's very, very unsettling. Well, yeah, but, it's... Um, I think it it does work as a palate cleanser if that palate cleanser was. Like a mouthful of vinegar, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it does... I think um, you brought me nicely onto a a point I had. um, That I think this album is the perfect length. And that little interlude in the middle is just kind of perfectly placed. Yeah. Not to just become like it's, you know, beating you over the head for too long. Because it is a difficult listen. It is. And there is a lot to take in. Yeah. I think were this album any longer... It, it might start to become a, a bit of an endurance test. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there, there's not like, you know, it feel it feels like the band is making, like you say, with the brevity of the record. I think that's a very good point. But it feels like the band is definitely making a conscious effort to make you feel as unsettled as possible. Mm. Um, Success. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I kind of like how it is quite rough around the edges. With the way that the drums rattle along, not you know, a lot of people might listen to that and think like, oh, some of the timings are a little bit off, but I think that just makes it feel kind of more human. Yeah, and raw. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there's not a lot I can say here that hasn't already been said about Venom Prison, but, my God, Larissa Stupar, their vocalist, um, I think what she is doing for heavy music and for women within heavy music yeah, is brilliant she is so outspoken mm. and totally sort of unfuck withable yeah something that this scene is was so desperately in need of yeah absolutely and you know if you look into the sort of the the meanings behind some of the songs yeah. and, and the lyrics you know it's a lot of uh, quite a common theme throughout the album is you know sort of injustices yeah. so you know uterine industrialization is about uh, the sort of quite exploitative industry of surrogacy in India. Mm. Um, there's a song called Megalus and Liana, uh, which is about sort of transphobia and queerphobic people in general. Mm-hmm. Or, or as we like to call them on the bitch in review, fuckheads. <laughs> um, implementing the metaphysics of morals is about Brock Turner, the student at Stanford yeah. University that... Um, was put away for sexual assault, was given a six-month sentence and only served three months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and obviously with all these injustices, it's it's also a very introspective record. Larissa's yeah. been quite vocal about her struggles with uh, depression um, and how, how kind of bad, uh, how kind of the road intensified that for her. 
Um, and, you know, it feels... That, that's maybe not the sort of thing you would associate with this kind of music, to be yeah, sort of very... Yeah, I think that's one thing that, that sets them apart, is it's one thing to, to be very, very proficient and technical and use that to squash everyone's bollocks with your, you know, your heaviness yeah. and your savagery, but to actually be, to genuinely have things to say and be very pissed off mm. and very vocal about that and bring that attitude actually into your music, you can't really fake that. And I yeah. think that's something that really, really sets them apart. Yeah, absolutely. personality. I would absolutely recommend uh, you go and read, uh, and I mean you, dear listener, I don't know if you've read this. I haven't actually, I would the, really, the, really like The to. cover feature um, on Venom Prison uh, in Kerrang! magazine, you can probably still order the magazine online, um, written by the superb Luke Morton, um, just uh, Larissa's story is just incredible and uh, she's obviously very intelligent and very mm-hmm. well informed on all these matters and like I said that's that's someone we need in heavy music yeah. um, I think when you look at Samsara within the pantheon of brilliant heavy records mm-hmm. of the last few years you know to be a brilliant heavy record to be like you know, Magma by Gojira or Forever by Code Orange or Raya by Oathbreaker or like Time Will Die and Love Will Bury It by Rolo Tomasi. Mm-hmm. I think to be on a par with those albums, you don't necessarily have to do something which is completely new sonically. No. I think what's important about Venom Prison and about Samsara is is the in sort of message. Yeah. Or the message is really. And it is going against that expectation that death metal has to be slightly hokey. Sure. You know, yeah. and, and kind of quite gory. Because this is a gory album. You read the lyrics, but it's, it's sort of gory on a on a much more unsettling level than sort of yeah, slapstick. and a subversive level, I Yeah, think. it kind of reminds me, and I don't know why I thought of this, but it makes me think a lot about how Jordan Peele is working within the horror and horror film scene yeah, at the moment. Yeah. Um, where he's not just going for cheap scares and sort of jumpy moments. He's giving you something to think about. Yes, exactly. You're walking away from it thinking about what you have just experienced for hours and hours and hours and hours. Yeah. And I feel like that is the death metal equivalent of this. Yeah, I think so. And it and it 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 shares something with with like Jordan Peele films as well. It feels weird to say that an album like this has a less is more approach yeah. with it being as fucking full on as it is. Yeah. But they do kind of have that kind of approach where you like you said you don't necessarily have to to push forward and bring all these new elements in. No. You know. I mean great if you can and maybe that's a a note for the next album. Mhm. But for the moment This'll do. This'll do very much. <laughs> this is an 8 out of 10 for me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I can imagine we'll be talking about it again towards the end of the mm-hmm. year. Yeah, I should think so. Um, again, we're going to be going very much in a different direction. <laughs> um, but I think I quite like that, to be honest. It shows how diverse a month it's been. Um, Angel Dust. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Angel Dust have been at this point, a really fun band to listen to. Yeah. Um, you know, their, their first two albums, AD and Rock the Fuck On Forever. <laughs> um, I kind of, I, I've always kind of compared them, certainly in my head, at least to Bad Brains meets The Wild Hearts. Mm-hmm. 
because I feel like there is that there is clearly influence from things like Bad Brains and Agnostic Front, but a huge sort of um, a huge favour towards sort of pop rock sensibilities as well yeah. to be incredibly catchy and so this album by the way sorry I should probably should mention is their third album it's called Pretty Buff um, which is also going to be the name of my upcoming biopic <laughs> um, uh, who who would play me in my biopic I'd like Chris Pratt to play me yeah yeah I think everybody would but yeah you know but like, but maybe like Chris Pratt when he on like Parks and Rec when he was a little bit chubby. Like I still wouldn't mind that. Um, what about the guy that plays Jake Peralta and? Well, Andy Samberg. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we were talking about this earlier about yeah, how I am. It's a callback. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did we talk about this Podcasting when we started recording? Uh, I don't know if it's it? actually in the podcast or not, or if people will be listening to this going, "Oh, I don't remember that callback." Yeah. You can't call back to before the podcast even started. No. I mean, maybe we can do that for premium subscribers. <laughs> no, that's not happening. Um, <laughs> right, so um, back to Angel Dust. I was, I was very excited to see that they had signed to Roadrunner Records, mm-hmm. considering the form that Roadrunner's been on recently with Code Orange, Gojira, Creeper, Milk Teeth. Turnstile? Marmoset's Turnstile. Yeah. Um, and uh, we probably should have mentioned at this point that um, Angel Dust is well, technically a supergroup featuring members yeah. of Turnstile and Trapped Under Rice. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yeah, I was very excited. Sorry, you can probably hear someone in the car park being a dickhead at the moment and compensating for his tiny, tiny penis by revving his engine really loudly. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, yeah, I was really excited to hear the news that they'd signed to Roadrunner. Uh, was less excited when I heard the first two singles, um, Big Ass Love and Take Away the Pain. I'm, I must admit, when I first heard those, I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, even with my... Sorry, just knocked my water bottle over from that. <laughs> you really were. <laughs> I'm really angry um... at this fucker who keeps revving his engine. We're trying to record a podcast here, mate. <laughs> Even with my passing knowledge of Angel Dust, I've, I've listened to the other material, but okay, so yeah. I'm kind of overly familiar with it. I've never yeah. seen them live. No, I've never seen them live. I mean, we'll both be seeing them live at 2000 Trees, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I like when I say I love the albums, they were just good to stick on every now yeah. and again. You know, um, they didn't necessarily. They they weren't like album of the year territory for me. I know they were for a lot of people, mm. but for me, they were just bloody good fun time. A good time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they. They took me as a surprise, mm. those two tracks as well, definitely. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I was not happy. No. <laughs> it was really sort of, it was almost like surf rock that sounded really lame <laughs> in comparison to what they'd done previously. It was definitely not as heavy, it was definitely not as catchy. No. And I must admit, first time I heard this album, I fucking hated it. <laughs> Um, yeah, me too. It, it opens on No Fair, which is, you know, like a predominantly acoustic sort of song that you would hear from like a douchebag busker on Venice Beach or something, <laughs> or like some dickhead at a campfire at Burning Man. Um, yeah, I I hated this album on first listen, but the more I listened to it, the more it got his claws into me. Yeah. And as we sit here, having had the album for... 
three to four weeks. I fucking love it. I really like it. Okay. You can <laughs> Thank you for your input. Uh, <laughs> I, I really, appreciate your I input. I think it, it sounds maybe like I don't like it quite as much as you, but um, I like those kind of... I mean, slacker vibes are yeah. the way to my heart, I think, and it <laughs> has that thing that culture abuse have that the story so far have been leaning into. Okay, yeah. I was um, definitely agree with culture abuse, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think but the story so far, it's more in terms of the maybe the attitude rather than actually sonically, yeah. I suppose. Um, it's weird. You, you mentioned Acoust. This album basically does use acoustic guitars throughout most of it yeah Yeah, kind of has um, that folk punky feel to it yeah which is interesting they actually they do some some very interesting things with acoustic guitars I think I think on this album the things they don't do very well on some songs i.e. take take away the pain or you know for take away the pain not being a very good sort of semi-acoustic song you have a track like Light Blue Mm-hmm. Uh, which is you know really serene and and fanciful and well, it's like a just a brilliant summer pop song. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know for um, you know you have a song like Park as well, which is you know sort of semi-acoustic, yeah. slacker pop. It's kind of what I wanted from that Swimmers record we reviewed. I was wondering how long it was going to take for the Swimmers record <laughs> to come up. This is. It's like the Swimmers record, but good. <laughs> I've like not come back is, to that Swimmers um, record at all, I'm no, sorry. Um, actually, Too Much Coffee is on my summer, my sunshine Oh, really? Okay, that's but, justifiable, um, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know if it will stay on there. <laughs> Check it out, it's great. <laughs> this has a much more authentically laid-back... There is a carefreeness to yeah. this album. and The Swimmers record, as, as kind of slackery as it was didn't capture that same mm. kind of but we're not reviewing swimmers but no. um, <laughs> we've this, done that this now. album's really really laid back and, and really really playful I think yeah. and doesn't take itself really that seriously well it's a lot like the last two albums in the way that they are just outrageously good fun mm-hmm. um, and you know for all my sort of anger towards how different it was from those first two albums I feel like, you know, up until this point, Angel Dust have not been a unique band. They have been kind mm, yeah. of a super group that sound a lot like the bands that, you know, their members have kind of primarily come from. Yeah. And I think, you know, they they needed to make Angel Dust a more unique proposition. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, I get now, with that in mind, get such a kickoff of songs like Bang My Drum. Mm-hmm. Um, which are so simple, yeah. Um, but so effective. Uh, the the last track on the album five, um, whatever kind of day I'm having, that song takes me to a whole other level of joy. It kind of takes me back what you were saying about culture abuse. I think just this trip, their singer, mm-hmm. really reminds me in sort of spirit of David from culture abuse. Yeah. He's kind of watching live videos of him. He's really rowdy and sort of cocky, but really positive. Yeah, and kind of fun loving. Um, you know, a, a lot of this record reminds me of something between the kind of the first and second culture abuse record. Yeah. For like it would be like, you know, where So Busted was kind of that good sort of gateway single between the two albums. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this would be the kind of the album that that would, might have been on and that wasn't a culture abuse song. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. 
I think there's a song um, called On My Way. Okay, yeah, Which yeah. I think is, is one where I thought you could really tell that these are hardcore musicians. And the last kind of minute or so of that song it sounds like something from Time and Space, the Turnstile record from last year. Okay, fair enough, yeah. Um, played on acoustic guitars, um, which is kind of cool and, as you said, like unique. Um, but it, I found myself really wishing for for something a bit with a bit more power. Right, know? okay, um, yeah, yeah. It made me just want to go and listen to Time and Space again. <laughs> right, okay, fair enough. To be honest, and it's... I think they're, they're better when they're, when they're straying further from that and they're, they're really kind of bringing in saxophones you know on, on things like bang my drum and stuff yeah yeah absolutely that's that's where the strengths of this album I thought are. last year was the year of the sax and yeah well that, uh, are Angel Dust the first sax we talked about this year this year possibly yeah yeah a very a late addition to the year of the sax <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean that's the thing like and maybe our sort of review of this seems a little bit ramshackle because I realise we've gone on a little bit. But, you know, hardcore punk, it doesn't have to be anything profound. No. Where we've, you know, spent a lot of time listening to very sort of game-changing hardcore records mm-hmm. over the last few years in hardcore punk in all its forms, really. Um, if it's just a good, dumb, fun time, yeah, then that's... Good music is good equally music. As, yeah, exactly. That's just as awesome. I wasn't... You know, I wasn't looking for anything particularly intelligent or profound from Angel Dust on this record. Um, But I think the biggest takeaway from it is they're doing something which, you know, for the most part anyway, sounds different from the bands that kind of, you know, are their day jobs. Sure. Your tolerance for weirdness, I think, will determine how much you can vibe with this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Um... and, you know, maybe it'll be like a similar thing for you with the Culture Abuse record where it kind of stayed with you in one period of time. Sure, yeah. I'm thinking this record's going to sound a lot bigger over the summer. Yeah, Kind I of surprised so. it didn't come out until later. More maybe just to get people ready for those sing-along choruses at 2000 Trees. Yeah, I think they're I'm... playing Slam Dunk as, as well, well yeah. which I think well, this uh, will go down And I'll be well. swinging a bag of wine over my head. <laughs> um, so that's Pretty Buff by Angel Dust, and the uh, S in Dust has a dollar sign in it. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got two more albums to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first of which uh, is American Football. With their latest self-titled album, their third album. Mm-hmm. Um, now, American Football, obviously, undeniably a sort of well, the fir- their their first self their first self-titled album, their debut album, is undeniably a classic, a cult classic. I would uh, yeah, say. it's a cult classic within the sort of emo and math rock genres, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, and it kind of placed American football, despite the fact that that was their sort of only album mm-hmm. in their sort of first um, uh, first run as a band. Um, it kind of placed them within that league of massively kind of influential emo bands. Mm-hmm. You know, bands like Sunny Day Real Estate and Mineral, and you know, I suppose early Jimmy Eat World, yeah. uh, The Promise Ring, and, and Pedro the Lion, who we spoke about. Um, on episode one. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously they split up in the late 90s um, and Mike Kinsella, they all sort of went off and did various musical projects yeah. but sort of most notably Mike Kinsella went and did 
uh, was in the band Joan of Arc, mm-hmm. um, and uh, also um, did his solo project. He was known as Owen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Owen, honestly. I think he's probably one of my favourite yeah. solo artists. I don't know if you... Are you familiar? I, have, I am familiar, yeah. Okay. Not as familiar with yeah. him as, as American football, but... Okay. So... When the prospect of a of a sort of comeback from American football had basically it was like forget it it had long since faded mm-hmm. our sort of hopes and dreams of that they got back together a few years ago mm-hmm. and all the emo kids lost their shit <laughs> they pissed their pants in excitement like I nearly did just now and um, album number two the sort of uh, again self titled was I would say it was a very sort of fitting continuation. Of of what they had achieved with that first record, yeah, I I think it was just kind of them doing what they do best. I think it was a classic case, and this happens sometimes when you get a band who make a very very influential album or an album that becomes influential over time, and they're not around. Yeah, they come back and do the same thing they were doing, but you know bands have kind of surpassed that mm. now, and it and it didn't kind of it fell quite flat for me. That second album. Okay, I, I I quite liked it. Um, definitely not as much as the the first album. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if I actually asked you at the start of this. I assume you are a fan of the the first album. I became a fan when they came back. They played Reading Festival. They played the second stage at Reading. Yeah, yeah, that was like a, quite a surprisingly high spot for them, considering yeah, and the demographic no of Reading. Really, there was absolutely nobody watching them. But wow, um, a mate kind of took me to see them who had who had been into them previously, and that's how I kind of got into them mm. yeah. so um, yeah I mean I, like I say it was kind of I think second album syndrome kind of intensifies after you've been away for a long time yeah definitely yeah um, but at the end of the day it was kind of them just doing what they had become sort of renowned for which mm-hmm. is mournful but ultimately very endearing math rock yeah um, but with album number three, I was, you know, I was really hoping they would do something different because mm-hmm. it kind of seems like they are not necessarily just out to do the sort of nostalgia thing. They're mm-hmm. kind of back for, they're back for good at yeah. least for for a little while. Um, and you know, I was having a really good chat. In fact, a friend of the podcast, Connor Connor Laws, mm-hmm. um, and uh, go on a side note, go and check out Connor's new podcast. Um, uh, after the show, where he sort of sits down with artists from the uh, Big Scary Monsters roster. Obviously, this album was released on Big Scary Monsters, mm-hmm. and he kind of talks with them about what they do outside of the band, their day jobs and their sort of side hustles. Mm-hmm. So, really, so the first episode is out now, and it's got uh, Rob Flynn from not Machine Head. <laughs> so, Rob Flynn, um, he's going to hate me for that. Um, Rob Flynn from the uh, Winter Passing talking about his you know career as a barber mm-hmm. um, and a hairdresser. Um, so yeah, go and check out after the show. So I was speaking with Connor and, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing because the conversation was over the phone a good few months ago. I think it was even before Christmas when they announced the album, best Christmas present ever. Um, but you know, where album number two was, and he said this, he, he said something to the effect of where album number two was them learning how to kind of be a band again and how to kind of play together again. Album three is them kind of having a bit more room to breathe and to experiment and to kind of have a bit more fun with it. Yeah. And I would say that really comes across. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think sonically this album does 
a lot of new and refreshing things for the band. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's songs like uh, Air Apparent where, you know, they kind of start playing around with like things like Woodwind. Mm-hmm. And uh, the opening track, sorry, Silhouettes, the first track we heard, which is seven and a half minutes long, has these sort of almost eerie glockenspiel mm. um, segments, um, you know, where they might have previously just got the trumpet out. Um <laughs> You know, they've kind of expanded their sonic palettes a little bit. Yeah, and definitely. And it's really interesting to hear that from a band in American football's position. Yeah, definitely. It definitely feels like a band really, really revitalised Yeah, by having had some time. And I think um, I weirdly kind of had my suspicions that might be the case from the artwork when they announced the album in that yeah. it's been the same house on album one and album two. Right, um, okay. And album one is from... Outside the house, and album two is is in the hallway. Okay, I didn't know that it was the same house. But if yeah. I'm if I'm right, this album cover was a photo that was shot uh, a few miles down the road from right, where okay. that house is, and it that is, I think is quite a good, I suppose, metaphor for what they've done on this album. Which yeah, is stepped outside a little stepped bit. outside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, walked down the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think one of the the most um, you know significant things is this is the first time they've had guest vocalists on the record, yeah. or at least guest vocalists that they've kind of credited in that way. Yeah. Um, and if anything, I think those are the songs which really do sort of stand out for me on the record. I think that is the the best thing, not to to take away from the band. No, they obviously made the song's so great but that is the kind of I think the standout thing on this record is the way they incorporate those guest vocalists yeah because these these guest vocalists they're kind of adding something more to the track they're part of the DNA of, of each of those songs oh than, god yeah, yeah. They're, they're not just sort of popping in and singing on the bridge and no. then getting out of there <laughs> you know like a, you sort of a, another guest vocal spot mm-hmm. um, so every wave to ever rise um Features a singer called Elizabeth Powell, who mm-hmm. is the singer of a band called Land of Talk, who I've not listened to. Have you listened no, to it at all? Um, I just um, not to keep shouting out other podcasts, but I listened to um, an episode of the the Washed Up Emo podcast. All right, cool. Um, which had Mike and Nate Kinsella on it, um, and um, if, if you're interested in this album, they go incredibly in detail about oh, okay, every cool. single song. Washed Up Emo is a podcast of been told to listen to it's so the first episode I've listened to right that, okay but um I did it just as a as a little bit of background cool research and um yeah I, I would I would recommend checking that out they said that um sorry I've, I've forgotten her name um, uh, Elizabeth Powell yes um I think is a friend of theirs okay uh, and a band that they're friends with so cool so sort of mates club kind of thing. <laughs> but no, really, she kind of adds this layer of ethereality to it and she's singing yeah. in French at one point, which is really interesting. It's my favourite song on the album. Really? Okay. Absolutely. My, I just think it's a beautiful song. My favourite song on the album, I'm sure this won't come as a surprise to you, is uh, the following track, Uncomfortably Numb, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, of course, features uh, Hayley Williams yes. in all her glory. Yeah. And, um, you know, the I... I, I lost my tiny little mind when I heard that Hayley Williams was going to be on the next American football yeah, album. Yeah, I'm sure she did too. Yeah. Not that she's got a tiny mind at all. No, but, um, no. Um, sure, I, I believe she's a pretty big fan. 
of the band. She is a huge fan of, obviously, having grown up around 90s emo. Mm -hmm. I think her favourite band is Failure. Um, and she loves American football. Uh, no, I think actually her favourite band might be Me Without You. Mm-hmm. So kind of has grown up around that nineties, mm-hmm. early noughties emo. Yeah. So I think that's definitely sort of a passion project for her. Yeah. Much maybe much more of a passion project than something like Airplanes by B.O.B. <laughs> <laughs> what a shit song. <laughs> um, but you know what? What she adds to it, those kind of delicate harmonies in the background. Yeah. It's it's incredible. She's such an adaptable kind of. There seems to be nothing she can't really turn her hand to. No. Vocally, I think. No, I yeah, I, I love her. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> um, and then I can't feel you, uh, which has Rachel Goswell from Slow Dive. Yeah. Um, who are a band I've not really gone in on. I've I really should have done a long time ago, so I've heard. Mm. Um, but you know, she adds a quite haunting element. Yeah, I think this is the song. I can't feel you is the song. I think it goes, well, maybe not full shoegaze. It's a very shoegazy song, I think. It adds a little bit more pace to what we've previously heard from American football, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it uh, it kind of builds to that. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I think I think you know to kind of tie this tie this review up. I suppose you know it, it has it has this album has done something that you know kind of takes American football out of that really rubbish territory of bands who for, who've kind of reformed for nostalgia's sake. Yeah. We've had this for far too long now with bands like System of a Down. Mm-hmm. And God, I really, really hope that we get a new record from Alexis on Fire soon because I know we've had one new track, which is great. Yeah. But to my knowledge, there hasn't been an album recorded for them yet. No. It's just been the one song. And I kind of need them to get a wriggle on now. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know... This this is kind of the total opposite of that now. Now they've been back and now they kind of... I don't think they ever came to the UK in their original... In their, in their yeah, first, first run. Right, yeah. So when people kind of got over that initial kind of rush of nostalgia yeah. and they did the whole album re-release and, you know, kind of revisited old territories, I suppose you could say, on the second album yeah. to varying effects... I, I feel like this record does absolutely what I needed and what I wanted it to do. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I think it's really, yeah, really think great. It's, it, it's really good and it's kind of really meticulously yeah. and and kind of subtly arranged. Yeah. I think um, some people would say a band like this are, are kind of boring, um, which I don't think is, is particularly fair. Well, those people are dickheads just like that guy riffing his engine right now. <laughs> I, think, I think subtle. Is yeah. the word and patient mm. and um, I think because the uh, I know we've been going on a little bit but the um, the guitar sound is so clean and stuff on this album yeah I think for people who listen to music like us and probably anyone that listens to this show it's kind of nice to have an album like that that can kind of wash over you and yeah it's so relaxing in that way it's nice to have that sometimes for sure I love this album yeah 8 out of 10 for me yeah So that's the uh, new self-titled album from American Football out now on Big Scary Monsters. Right, final album we're going to be talking about um, is is it the uh, it's the only debut album we've been speaking about on this episode at least? Yeah, yeah, it's the only debut album. So um, Holding Absence and their self-titled album. now, Holding Absence are a band from Cardiff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and there was a there was definitely a buzz surrounding holding absence. Yeah. Namely for their work on a split EP with Loathe, mm-hmm. and it's a buzz for that you know for whatever reason I did not kind of gravitate towards. No. Um, I th- I kind of thought. I don't know why, but I kind of thought it was going to be like another situation like uh, we had with that band Dead a couple of years ago. Yeah. Something felt a little bit, I don't know. I think, uh, for me, I don't don't really listen to Buzz. You know, I need someone to be like, this band's really good, or to hear the music for myself and, you know, a a load of kind of of voices saying one band. I I don't always listen to it, which sometimes bites me in the arse. (laughs) And has it done that with this record? Yes, I think yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, this record for me, kind of to launch right into it, it kind of takes potential yeah. and turns it into promise. Yeah. I would say. Um, I would, after hearing this album, I would absolutely love to see Holding Absence be one of those kind of flagship bands of the next absolutely massive wave of UK yeah. rock bands yeah. that kind of managed to claw their way into the quote-unquote the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, after hearing this album, I really do think they have it in them. This album is massive. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there is a balance on it between, you know, melody and, and heaviness. Because mm-hmm. I guess you could kind of call this almost... I don't want to say post metal core because I feel that might be a little bit. Yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, I kind of. Um, I don't think then they're certainly not doing anything um, massively original no. on this album. No, um, they're not. But we've discussed how that's not necessarily a a bad thing. For me, they remind me of a kind of a generation of UK rock band that was before my time, really. And it kind of went away. The likes of the kind of funeral for a friend. I got that hundred as well. reasons. Yeah. Hands for heroes. Reuben. Before the kind of the likes of Death of Anna and, and yeah. Mary Knox and stuff came along, I think they they belong. They they remind me of that generation of bands. Yeah. I think there's there's maybe a bit more metal in their DNA than than some of those bands I just mentioned. But I would I would possibly say that. Although early funeral for a friend, maybe yeah. you know has a has a sort of quite yeah. a metallic edge to it. It kind of reminded me, around a similar era, but a totally different scene, and one, you know, band that I never thought I would have to mention on this podcast, but I think there are definite similarities, and I mean it in the most positive way, mm-hmm. but uh, 30 Seconds to Mars. Yeah? In in the way it kind of, you know, it uses, like we were saying with a couple of the records in the last episode, it kind of uses synths to create a certain ethereal atmosphere mm-hmm. while still being undeniably sort of heavy. Yeah. Um, the You know, the opening track, Perish, and, and one of the singles, You Are Everything, it kind of has that... It has a heaviness which is kind of quite similar to Bring Me the Horizon on Sempaternal mm-hmm. or like Architects on uh, Holy Hell. Yeah. I think production-wise, definitely very similar, mm-hmm. um, especially in the drums and the you know and the guitars as well. But it's lifted by these 
almost euphoric sort of synths. Yeah. I think you should fucking send this record to, um, what's the name of that band we covered? A- Asteroid. Yeah. Because that, that, this is how you sound truly sort of atmospheric. Yeah. And, and almost kind of stratospheric yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, shall we talk about Lucas, the singer? I was just about singer? to say that exact sentence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's talk, I mean... Lu- Lucas Woodland, their, yeah. their, their singer. A band like this, and, and like those bands I just mentioned, in, in comparison to them, a lot rides on their singer. Mm. Um, and Lucas is a phenomenal, a really, really phenomenal vocalist, I think. Yeah. Um, and he kind of confirmed that because we were saying we, we we both went to see him live. Yes. Off of the kind of the strength of the record, mm-hmm. um, we both went to go and see him live at the Joiners, and he there was something very moving about their performance. Yeah. Particularly with Lucas, I just found him very compelling to kind of watch. Yeah. Um, the the second song on the album is possibly my favorite. Your love has ruined my life. Mm-hmm. Where he has his his voice is very kind of clean cut, and there's times where he sort of carries a similar tone to vocalists like Josh from Yumi at Six. Yeah, I think there's a bit of Sam from Architect, Sam Carter from Architect. When he kind of when he kind of oh yeah okay in fair the, enough. well in perhaps his transition from harsher yeah. to cleaner and the, and the the balance yeah. I would say, like, like Architects on The Here and Now, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, uh, which, you know, I think Sam's vocal performance on that record is, is awesome, considering mm-hmm. how little he did in the way of clean vocals before that record. Yeah. Uh, that was a huge record for him, definitely. Um, but yeah, Your Lovers Ruined My Life, I think, you know, he, he still, he, he does have a clean-cut voice, but it carries so much emotion... Yeah. And you know you can kind of almost tell the little cracks. You you can kind of delve into the little cracks in his voice, or when he goes a little bit more aggressive, it feels, it does feel very compelling. Yeah, yeah. And this is um, an album all about love. I think they've said in various interviews. Uh, they they have or, uh, or love in in terms of the ups and downs, and yeah. the, the good and the bad that that entails. Would you call it a concept album, or would you, if if you had not have read that in interviews, I wouldn't have been able to pick that up. No, I don't think so. I would have definitely have said that it's an album with love songs on it or something. But yeah, I I, I think it's a very very loose concept album. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thematically linked album. It's definitely a body of work. Mm. A very. You fucking mind. <laughs> that guy has got actual lights under his car as well. That's that's actually a thing right now. Sorry, yeah. continue. I actually can't remember what I was No, 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 it's okay, just carry on. Um, we won't even cut this bit out. I'm calling out these defects. <laughs> I think um it's a it's a, a body of work. I don't think it's a concept album, but it's a very thematically kind of consistent mm. body of work. Yeah. Which in this day and age, it's great to see actually, it's actually great to see a band on their first album in 2019 doing that mm. rather than kind of this almost playlist kind of approach. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, what I was saying, 
earlier, you know, this this kind of reminds me, um, you know, where, where it reminds you of bands like Funeral for a Friend, I definitely kind of got that, um, and I think it also kind of reminds me of, there was a band a few years ago who I kind of really wish got more traction than they did called Crooks. Mm-hmm. That uh, are quite similar, and also um, uh, the band Casey, who have just recently announced their breakup. I yeah, thought they were going to. They they felt kind of destined for some bigger things. I think that's, that Casey is actually quite a good comparison. Yeah, with the holding absence. I think. Oh uh, well, I think they may have even been on tour together at one point. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, it feels sort of very similar, and I kind of hope the holding absence kind of pick up from that momentum. And seeing them live, there was there was a really sort of unbreakable bond between the band and the crowd yeah I think the audience and the um, the, the real passion they seem to inspire in, mm. their, in their fans is is really really cool and and I, I noticed a lot during the set the emotions really took full hold of the band as well mm-hmm. um, you know while they are in these you know, small rooms. We saw them at the Joiners. It's a 200 cap venue. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're already too big for the small stages. Yeah. And I really hope this band do get the opportunity to go and do some massive things. Like they yeah. get offered some sort of large, you know, support slot or, you know, a good spot on a festival bill. Mm-hmm. I really do think they they have it in them. Yeah. Um, and you know, when you when you look to that kind of bond between band and crowd and the way the crowd was singing along even though the record had been out for a number of days at that point. I mean, we hadn't even spoken about the fact that, that during this show we saw the, the sort of live debut of the song Marigold, which is, I think, besides from Your Lover's Room, My Life, it's Lucas's sort of standout moment on the record, yeah. that sort of solo piano ballad. And I think if you were to hand me this record or, or send me this record and say that there is a very kind of... Um gentle kind of fragile piano ballad mm. in the middle of it I would raise an eyebrow and, mm. and perhaps not look forward to that but it's actually one of the standout moments on the album it and t- totally works yeah it really really does and for a band to be doing that on their debut album really impressive I think I, I don't know if we will be talking about this album in the same way that we do a lot of other modern British debut albums like rock debuts, mm-hmm. like we do in the way that we talk about the Marmosets album, or the way that certainly I talk about the Lonely the Brave album. Yeah, is it unique? No, no. it's not unique in is the it, way that those bands are. Is it a game changer? Not really. The- not sonically, but in terms of what it could do for a scene mm. that that is in need of a band like this, it's a game changer in that respect. Yeah, and you know. It is thoroughly entertaining. Yeah. And I think it sets the stage for something even bigger and better. Mm-hmm, and definitely. I'm stoked on that. So for me, that this album gets a 7 out of 10. I'm going to go... Yeah, I'm going to go 7 as well. All right, cool. I was, I was flirting with 8. It's a really, <laughs> really, really high 7. So that's the self-titled debut from Holding Absence. And on that... Uh, we'd like to bring this episode of the Bitchin' Review to a close. Sorry, I ended that as if we're doing like some sort of local council meeting. <laughs> well, that's where I am off to now, but um, no. <laughs> no more items on the agenda. No more items on the... Any other business today, Brad? Um, no. 
No, cool. All right then. Um, go and subscribe to the Bitchin' Brew podcast for more podcasts like this. Obviously, we're four episodes in now. We want to hear your feedback. What sort of albums you want to hear on the next episode? Albums that have come out in April. I know we're definitely going to be talking about Pup's album. Oh, yeah. We're going to be talking about Martha's album as well. Uh, the Loyal Karner album is coming out, so that's going to be our first full-on sort of uh, dalliance with with modern hip-hop, I suppose, mm-hmm. on the Bitchin' Review. Um, we've got a couple of episodes of the of the normal podcast, uh, Bitchin' Brew, um, a podcast about music life and everything in between, coming up very soon as well. I know you have been waiting for that, and I really do appreciate your patience while I sort my life out. Mm-hmm. Um, also, make sure you subscribe to Bitchin' Brew on uh, Spotify for the official Bitchin' Companion playlist, yep. where we pick three tracks from each album. We, I say we pick, I pick three tracks <laughs> from each album, mainly the ones that we've been talking about the most during each review, and kind of put it in a big playlist so that you can check out what we think are the kind of the highlights from each album, and then if you like what you're hearing, go and listen to the full album. But, you know, really, I'd just go and listen to the full album anyway, because... There's not a bad album we've spoken about. Oh, wait, Weezer. Sorry. Um, Yeah, no. uh, Don't subject yourself to that. Actually, no. I think... We've subjected ourselves to it, so I think everyone else should. Yeah, you bastards. Um, And as always, yeah, Bitchin' Brew is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Acast. Go and rate, review, and subscribe, guys. Uh, Go and follow us on Twitter, at Bitchin' Brewcast. On Instagram, it's the very same. And just search Bitchin' Brew Podcast on Facebook, because I can't even remember the URL for it anymore, because it won't let me use the word bitch in it. Um, Cheers, Facebook. Cheers a lot. Uh, Right, Brad, thank you. And now you can get out of my car. Farewell, listeners. (laughs) Bye, everyone. (laughs)